Amen. Amen. Well, it's preaching time. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter number 27. I encourage you to be back tonight at 5 o'clock for the evening service. Don't take, it, don't take for granted a place to have church. We've got folks piping in on the Facebook and on the live stream now. Places like Kansas and around the country, they're snowed in and it's so cold, their services were canceled. They said, thank you for your live stream. Amen. I'm grateful for live stream, but I'm grateful to be here in person. Amen. Stand to our feet, if you would, Acts chapter 27. I'm not going to read the whole story for sake of time. We'll refer to it throughout the course of the message. But I preached from these verses. I preached from this chapter back in, believe it or not, it was back in 2020. It was about three years ago that I preached uh, out of these verses, the story here of the storm. And, um, but I've never really preached a whole message from the thought or the phrase that we're going to look at this morning and that is in verse number 25. And so for the sake of time, we'll just jump to verse 25. And um, well, you know what? Let's look at verse 21. Let's start there. Let's start there. All right. Bible says, after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, verse 25, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. I want to preach a little bit on that statement in verse 25. I believe God. Amen. Lord, we pray that you'd bless the word of God this morning. Lord, as we look at this story, look at this passage of scripture, but then we look at several other places, I pray that you'd put it all together in our hearts like you did for me. And may, Lord, you be glorified in this message is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I believe God. What a statement. What a statement. As far as I'm concerned, everything, really, for all of us, starts with this simple statement right here. For the unbeliever, in order to be saved, they must believe God. John chapter 3, verse number 18, Jesus said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. For the unbeliever, it starts with, I believe God. For the believer, for those of us that are saved, for those of us that are children of God, that identify with the people of God and are the church, the Bible tells us that for us also, it begins with, I must believe God. This is really the crux of the Christian life. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must 
believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So for the unbeliever, it starts with, I believe God. For the believer, our life consists really with an understanding and a conviction that we believe God, if we're going to please God. I have preached this passage of scripture in Acts 27 many, many times, but I've never really looked at this statement in depth. And I've had it on my heart for well over a week. The statement that Paul makes in verse number 25 is powerful. Here's what he said to those on that ship. He said, I believe God. He went on to expound on that statement by saying not only I believe God, verse 25, but he said that it shall be even as it was told me. So basically the bottom line is we believe God when we believe what he says. We believe God when we believe his word. If we do not believe God's word, we do not believe God. It's important that we understand that. In John chapter number eight, you can turn over there quick. I just want to look at a couple of verses, bounce right down through John eight right quick, just to underline the statement that I just made, that if you do not believe God's word, you do not believe God. In John chapter number eight, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. And it goes something like this, starting in verse number 13, John eight. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Imagine the audacity. You look the Son of God in the face and say, what you're saying is not true. Jesus answered in verse 14, said unto them, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. He preached a while and then notice what he said in verse number 30. The Bible says, and as he spake these words, many believed on him. Praise the Lord for that. Look at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples Indeed. But the Pharisees continued to argue with him. They continued to debate. They continued to try and look for a way to undermine him and to discredit him in front of the people. And notice what Jesus said in verse number 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. So I want to reiterate what I said a minute ago. If you do not believe the word of God, you don't believe God. Amen. Amen. He said, I have exalted my word above my name. That's amazing. But especially when you understand Philippians 2, that he hath given him a name which is above every name. (laughs) Amen. And he's exalted his word above his name. You and I cannot say that we believe God if we do not believe God's word. So Paul said in verse number 25, I believe God it shall be even as it was told me. So back to our passage in Acts 27. Turn with me back over there to our text. We got to say this morning, Paul's confidence in God is clear. And as I begin to just drill down on these verses and just look at them, I begin to read them. I had to come to the conclusion that Paul believed God in this story 
and in this instance and in this, in, in, in this time in his life, it was a direct result of his testimony in verse number 23. His faith, can we say it by way of introduction number one, his faith was reinforced by the presence of God in his life. Look at what he said. There stood by me this night the angel of God. Boy, there's something about the presence of God that will confirm and build up your faith. We talk about the presence of God and some people, I'm afraid, don't even really understand what we're talking about. It's not some mystical thing. It's not a state of mind, but God desires to dwell with us and to make his presence known to us. And in the New Testament church age, we are given the, 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 the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So God is always with us. But I believe we can honestly say that God's presence is not always real and as vivid in our life as it could be and as it should be. But Paul said, the angel of the Lord stood by me this night and I'm able to say, I believe God. Amen. Never underestimate the importance of the presence of God in your life. I'm talking about the, stay with me. I'm not charismatic. Not even close. Not even a little bit. But the presence of God is available for the child of God. If God wanted the Old Testament the Old Testament congregation, if God wanted the Old Testament nation of Israel to know his presence, and his presence was there in a variety of ways, manifested with the, with the cloud and the fire and things of that nature, how much more does God not want the church of the living God in the New Testament church age to understand and know his presence? We see his faith was reinforced by the presence of God in his life. But secondly, his faith was reinforced by the purchase of God. Notice what he said in verse 23. There stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am. Do you see that? That one little statement right there is powerful. In other words, he says, I believe God because God purchased me, bought me with his own blood, and I belong to him. Amen. 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 And if you think for one second that you're more concerned about securing your property than God is and taking care of what's yours than God is. Huh? My wife texted me yesterday. She said, did you leave the gate open? Charlie's in the street again. Charlie's full of the devil. Pray that dog will get saved. I said, I shut the gate twice. I don't know how we got out. But we didn't just leave him out there. We didn't just leave him out there to go through all the dangerous toils and snares. We went and got him and put him back in the security and the safety of where he belonged. The point I'm making is this. Paul said, I believe God because I belong to God and God's gonna take care of me. He purchased me with his own blood. Ye are not your own, he said. Ye are not your own, but you have been bought with the price. So he said, there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord whose I am. <laughs> Amen. There was a relationship, the purchase of God, the presence of God. And then thirdly, his faith was reinforced by his partnership with God. He said, there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. I'm able to believe God because we have a working relationship. <laughs> I serve him. Come on. I serve God. 
I'm serving the Lord. My whole life has been spent pursuing the will of God and following the plan and the agenda of God and the furtherance of his kingdom. And I believe God. And I believe what God said to me because I serve God. God's not going to do me wrong. Show me somebody that doubts God and I'm going to show you somebody that either might not be saved. Secondly, they're living in such a backslidden state that God's presence is not real in their life. Or thirdly, they're not serving God like they should and so they have a problem believing God. Amen. Let me just tell you this from experience. First-hand information is always easier to believe than third and fourth and fifth-hand information. It pays for you to have a relationship with God. It pays for you to have a good, clear line of communication with God. If you want to believe God, maybe you ought to try hearing it from him for a change instead of three or four other people. There's a lot of people in our, come on, a lot of people in our churches are operating only what they hear from the grapevine because God's not really talking to them. And they're not talking to him. Paul was in the middle of a, Paul was in the middle of a mess. I mean, this is an, this is a storm. The ship's been completely dismantled. It's an, this is a nightmare of a situation. None of us can even begin to imagine the horror of the, the storm and this, this, this situation that Paul is in in Acts 27. And Paul says, I'm in the perfect will of God. While everybody's wringing their hands, I've been talking to God. God's been talking to me. His presence has been real. I know, who I, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So we see his faith was reinforced by these things. I'm going to just give you a quick list of three things that Paul believed God in spite of some things. Number one, Paul believed God in this story in spite of the skeptics. If you'll go back with me back to the beginning of the story, back around verse number nine, the Bible says, now when much time was spent, when sailing was now dangerous. Well, let me just take a second, bring you up to speed in case you don't know the story. Paul has been arrested and is a prisoner on this ship. He's on his way to go see Caesar, stand before Caesar. And so they've got him on this ship with these centurions and these, these, these soldiers and all these other prisoners. Okay, that's where we're at. That's where the story picks up if you started in verse number one and read down. But in verse number nine, when the time was much spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already now passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage shall be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and the ship, but also of our lives. It's pretty clear. Man of God standing over here, he's got his chains on, he's got his prison garb on, but he's still God's man. He's still an apostle. Amen. He's still full of, he's still full of the Holy Ghost. And he's still got the power of God in his life. He's still able to get a hold of God. He's still able to be able to do what God's called him to do. And so without being asked, he just offered up a little bit of admonition and says, I perceive this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Verse number 11, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. Can I say it? In this story, Paul, who says, I believe God, was surrounded by unbelievers. Unbelievers, surrounded by them. I mean, he's surrounded by people that had faith in anybody and anything but God. What does that remind you of? Well, one of the biggest challenges that a child of God faces today is always being in the minority about just about everything. Huh? There are some days I've come to the conclusion the world has lost their ever-loving mind. And there's some days I think I'm losing my mind. 
Amen. Ask my wife, she might agree with you. Sometimes being the only believer, being the only one that knows God and trusts God, it'll take a toll on your faith. <laughs> Paul faced the same difficulties that we face. And that is he was surrounded by people that trusted anybody and everybody but God. And in spite of Paul's preaching, his admonitions, in spite of his perception, he said, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. In spite of his preaching and his perception, they still, Bible says, believe the master and the owner of the ship. You got to love these experts. And their false sense of security. They're able to give people. We're surrounded by people in our society that believe scientists more than they believe God. Amen. If, and if you believe in evolution, you believe scientists more than you believe God. You didn't evolve from a monkey. And that monkey didn't come from a big bang. And that big bang didn't come from a little dot that had a whole lot going on and then... No, that's not how it came about. That's not how we got here. We got some kids in our school that act like monkeys, but that ain't where you came from. <laughs> believe scientists more than they believe God. They believe the government more than they believe God. And I'm just going to throw this in right here. If you believe anything that our government says today, I got some property I want to sell you. I'll sell you the inner harbor for $50,000 as soon as church is over. We'll sign, if, if you believe the government, if you believe any, I said anything, the government says. I don't believe a single thing they say. Not one thing they say. They couldn't tell the truth if you stuck a gun to their head. And we got people today that believe the government more quicker than they believe God. They believe their college professors more than they believe God. They believe the climate change cultists more than they believe God. They're more worried about the ozone layer than they are about hell. That'll make a bumper sticker. Quit worrying about the whale and think about hell. Amen. That'll make a bumper sticker. Quit worrying about the whales and you better focus on hell because that's where you're going if you don't learn to believe God. Amen. I'm going to patent that. Don't nobody else do it. That's me. <laughs> People believe their family over God. They believe their friends before they believe God. They believe their BFF. What does that even stand for? Best friends forever. And they change BFFs every two weeks. BFF, best friends forever, for now. That's what it should be, BFFFN. That's what it should be, or something like that. Best friends forever, for now, till I get another BFF. And they believe their BFFs, and they believe their parents, and they believe their children, and they believe their girlfriend, they believe their boyfriend, and they believe anybody but God. Being a person, being a people that boldly proclaims, I believe God, it's a difficult thing sometimes when you're surrounded by skeptics. The Bible tells us in verse 37, there was 276 people on that ship and only one of them believed God. Tell me about how hard it is for you to live for God and trust God. You see, I've got lost family members. I've worked with lost people. Tell me about it. Paul is surrounded by 276 lost people. Some of them convicted criminals. And he said, I believe God in spite of the skeptics around me. 
Amen. Number two, Paul believed God in spite of the storm. The Bible tells us a storm set in, in verse number 14, a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, I would tell a joke here about when you let her drive, you run under an island, but I'm not. I ain't even going to go there. I'm just going to leave it. But they let her drive and they ran up under an island, which is called Clauda. We had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us with all hope that we should be saved, was then taken away. He believed God in spite of the storm. And this is not just a storm like we have here that'll last a couple of hours. You know, we have to close school for a couple hours because the wind's already up to 40 miles an hour. Close school. Man, we're a bunch of snowflakes, you know it? Close school with two-hour delay. Sun's out, blue sky, two-hour delay. Used to, back in the 50s, they'd say, there's gonna be a tornado at school tomorrow. Make sure you put a book over your head, and by the way, we're having pizza for lunch. Huh? This is a storm. I mean, this is a real storm. I mean, the Bible tells us to name the storm. I mean, it was so big they named it. Eurachlodon. It literally means, it literally means a violent agitation that went on for two weeks. This isn't just a couple of, you know, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more. This storm just went on and on and on and it was so bad, they was throwing everything that they could off the ship. They was taking everything off the ship that they didn't have to have. I mean, they're throwing everything over. They're throwing the luggage over. They're throwing the implements over. They're throwing everything over, the Bible says. The Bible says they used helps and undergirding the ship. They're wrapping it up with duct tape and bailing wire and bungee cords, trying to hold this thing together. Throughout the tackling of the ship in verse 19, I mean, when they got done with this ship, you couldn't have got $2 for it on eBay. It's worthless. And then they went 14 days without sun. Huh? Can we agree? It's a storm. You know, storms have a way of testing our faith, do they not? Storms have a way of being used by God to accomplish things in our life. Brother Lato, this morning, my wife and I slipped into his Sunday school class. Man, it was tremendous. He had a grand slam, all except for the part about not liking beats. That was not of God. I don't know how a man can say he's saved, not like beats. For by grace are you saved through faith and eating beats. That's what Bible says. Except for that part about not liking beats, everything else was 100%. And he was talking about people that fall and break their arm, break their leg, break their hip or whatever, and say, that's just life. We're trying to make, we're, we're talking about storms, okay? Storms comes in all shapes and sizes. It could be a physical issue. It could be a, a family problem. It could be a financial crisis. But the point I'm trying to make is the apostle Paul believed God in spite of the storm. Sometimes God lets storms come into our life just to reveal to us how little faith we actually do have. 
In Luke chapter number eight, Jesus told his disciples in verse 22, he said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And he got into the ship with his disciples and they launched forth. The Bible says, as they, sailed, as they sailed, he fell asleep and there came a storm of wind on the lake. They were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased. And then there was a calm. And then he looked at him and said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? They were having a panic attack. We're going to die with you on the boat with us, Jesus. I guess we're all just going to drown right out here in the middle of this lake. Sometimes God will send storms into our life to test our faith. But can we agree this morning that Paul believed God in spite of the storm? And you're going to go through storms that you didn't see coming. They're not going to be on the radar. God's not going to say, oh, next week this is going to happen. You're just going to wake up one morning and that happens in your day. The Bible says you don't know what a day may bring forth. A lot of people that say they believe God, believe God till there's a storm. And all of a sudden, they don't believe God anymore. Right. Question God, doubt God. Begin to second guess everything God's ever said. Sometimes all it takes is a flat tire. Oh, I'm going through a storm, preacher. I got a flat tire. Oh, bless your heart. I'm glad your Rockladon's not happening. Huh, you'd renounce your whole Christianity and go back to the world. He believed God in spite of the storm. But then thirdly, well, this right here is where God showed me something I had never seen before. Paul believed God in spite of the stipulation. Now watch this. You will talk about crazy. You read some crazy stuff in your Bible, but this right here is crazy. Here's what he said to them. I want you to watch this. There stood by me, verse 23, this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. You're not going to die in this storm. You're going to be brought before Caesar. That's going to happen. Look at this. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Huh? How be it? We must be cast upon a certain island. Now, granted, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the island. They couldn't see anything. Stay with me. We're all going to live. Everybody that's sailing with me is going to survive this. And we're going to be cast onto an island. But look what he said in verse number 21. After long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you, be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Hang on just a second, Paul. Be of good cheer. We're all going to survive. We're all going to live. We're all going to be cast onto a certain island. Nobody's going to be lost. Now, the ship's going to be lost. The ship's gone. The ship's going to be gone. But we're going to live. And we're going to be on an island. But there's not going to be a ship. Come on, y'all. Paul, God told Paul that all those that sail with him would be spared in verse number 24. Is that not what he said? He also told them they would lose the ship in verse 22. 
And he told Paul that they'd be cast upon an island in verse number 26. And God told Paul that except they abode in the ship, that they could not be saved, verse 31. Huh? You mean we're all gonna survive, we're all gonna be thrown onto an island, the ship's gonna be lost, but the only way we can be saved is by staying in the ship. Well, maybe he meant using the lifeboats. I'm so glad you thought of that. They thought of that too. The Bible says in verse number 30, the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship and when they had let down the little boats into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. So we're not using the lifeboats. The only way you're gonna live is stay in the ship. The ship's gonna be lost though. Is anybody's brain doing what mine was doing when I read that? You're all gonna survive as long as you stay in the ship that we're gonna lose. Huh? This right in here is right I've been going, uh, Lord, um, am I hearing you right? Lord, I, I, I believe you. I'm trying to believe. I've been like that man with that son. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Let's just add a few more layers of drama. Let's add in they've been fasting and not eating for two weeks, according to verse number 33. Let's, let's, make, let's have them surrounded by rocks in verse 29. Let's cut all the lifeboats loose and let them fall into the sea, verse 32. And then after they got done eating in verse 38, they threw all the rest of their food overboard. You still believe God? I mean, everything that God said and everything that God wanted and every stipulation that he attached to them surviving this goes against everything that your brain and your common sense says. You know what I think God's doing? I think God's testing whether or not we really believe him. You're gonna survive as long as you stay in the ship. The ship's gonna be lost though. We're gonna end up on an island, but we're not gonna get there on a lifeboat or on this ship. Most people in this situation would have looked for an alternative solution. How many times do we do that? God says, this is what I want you to do. And you say, I believe God. God says, okay, now this is how I want you to do it. And you go, hang on just a second. That ain't gonna work. Believing God under these circumstances was a tremendous test of Paul's faith. Is everybody still with me? You didn't ever waver in believing God. Believing God means you cannot believe yourself. This is where we're going. Believing God means sometimes you can't believe yourself or your emotions or your own heart. I want to close with this two, two points. I want to close with two appeals to you this morning that you and I need to be reminded of some times when we need to believe God. Number one, we need to believe God when it comes to our condition. Our condition. Look with me at Jonah right quick. Jonah, chapter three, hurry. But back up to the Old Testament, Jonah, little book there in the Old Testament with just four chapters. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Jonah, chapter number four. We gotta believe God when it comes to our condition. In Jonah, chapter number three, the Bible says in verse number four, do you see this? 
Are you there? Say amen. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh, what's the next two words? Believe God. Believe God. About what? Well, in chapter number one and verse number two, God said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah, after, after going through three days of Bible college in the bottom of the sea. He went to Whale University, by the way. <laughs> Reminds me of that old, that old redneck boy trying to impress that highfalutin girl at that get together. And he walked up to her and he with his buck teeth and his tobacco running out of the corner of his mouth. He said, I went to the University of Georgia. Where'd you go to school? She said, Yale. He said, I went to the University of Georgia. Where'd you go to school? <laughs> jo Jonah went to Whale University. Got a, he got a crash course in doing what God said the first time he said it. Amen. Right. Brother Lee, are you good? Did you get it? You got it. God said, go cry against their wickedness. Chapter three, the Bible says he entered into the city and he began to preach exactly what God told him to. And he said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Word came to the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and set in ashes and caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king. And of his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from this fierce anger that we perish not. God made it clear, God made it clear that their condition was one that required judgment and destruction and instead of them making excuses and defending it and calling God unfair, they believed God about their condition. They didn't justify themselves, they didn't make excuses. I put this in my notes this morning. Hell will be filled with people from every generation and every nation and every background and all of them have one thing in common. They didn't believe God when it came to the matter of their sinful condition. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, quit making excuses about it. Just believe God. Because God said all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Just believe God. Believe God. Quit trying to make fig leaf aprons and cover it up. Quit hiding behind the trees. Quit running from the voice and the presence of God like Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the garden. Rather, just believe God like the people of Nineveh did in Jonah chapter 3. A message. Are you ready? A message from a backslid preacher that didn't care two cents about them. Come on. 
if there's anybody in here this morning that says, well, I believe I could be further along in my walk with God if the preacher loved me more and cared about me more, this whole city got saved. And when they did, Jonah got mad about it. Believe God when it comes to your condition. Let me give you a New Testament example. Luke 18. Turn over there right quick. I know what time it is. Straight up 12 o'clock. We're good. Luke chapter 18. That'd be about halfway through the first quarter if we was in a football game right now. Nice and warm in here, ain't it? People sitting in that stadium last night in Kansas City watching the Chiefs, it was like 10 degrees below zero. Place was packed out. Can't go to church because yeah, my dog's got a runny nose. Luke 18. Look at verse 9. This is Jesus talking. He spake this parable in a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. This is the parable Jesus has given. One a Pharisee and the other a publican. They were hated. They were despised. That was the tax collectors. That was the Jews that was collecting taxes for the Romans. The Jews hated them. The Pharisees stood and prayed thus with himself. Verse 11. God, I thank thee I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. For I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I'm saying this morning, if you want to get saved, you must first forsake your self-righteousness, stop trusting in your good works, and believe God about your true condition. When he said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not only should we believe God when it comes to our condition, but secondly and lastly, we should believe God when it comes to our concerns. Our concerns. Mark chapter number 11. Turn to Mark chapter number 11 right quick. I'm almost done. I had the opportunity of doing a Zoom call. Brother Caleb Garraway and myself and a couple other folks did a Zoom call earlier this week. And we were just talking about the film in Redeeming Hope film. If you have not watched it, go to redeeminghope.com. I think it's redeeminghope.com. Is that right? Is that the right URL.com.org.com? Redeeminghope.com. And watch that film. Thousands of people are getting saved. And we were having a Zoom call about it, and Brother, Brother Caleb was just sharing some verses with us. And I'd already been working on this message. He threw out these verses out of Mark chapter number 11. I texted him after it was over. I said, Man, that was fire. I said, I'm going to steal some of that. It goes right along with the message. Talking about our concerns the things that are on our hearts. Look at what it says in Mark 11. Are you there? Look at verse 22. Jesus answering, said unto them, what's the next four words? Have faith in God. That's what we're preaching about this morning. I believe God. Have faith in God, not, not other people, not in yourself, not in the experts. We're talking about God, the creator of the universe. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Believe God. Believe God. 
Believe God about big things. Big things. Stay with me. Mountains. Mountains. Big things. Believe God when it comes to big things. We met with the engineers this past week. Brother Leader and I met with the engineers. They came and gave us an update on the, on the feasibility study, and we walked all over this building, walked all over the property, measured, pulled measuring tapes. They said, it looks like, you, looks like we're going to be able, looks like you're going to be able to do something here. We just got to figure out what. I said, well, that's good. Hey, man, that's the best news we've gotten so far. Hey, man, it's a green light for now. We can do something right here. Take this building next to us and, 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 and make it a ministry center with a, a kitchen area or a serving food serving prep area and fellowship hall and, 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 and a, a gymnasium and locker rooms and maybe some more classrooms and maybe some more offices. And, and man, we're excited. And, and, and we were standing out in the yard. I said, I said, y'all give me an idea of what we're looking at money-wise. They just looked at me. So well, it depends on what you end up doing. I said, what are we talking about? It's a lot of money, ain't it? They said, well, yeah. I felt this big old knot in my stomach. And I walked into my office and I read this verse. And I realized I can believe God about big things. Huh? Is everybody still with me? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the sharpest knife in the light bulb drawer or the brightest knife in the drawer, ever how that saying goes. But I'm pretty sure a mountain's bigger than the ministry center. We can trust God, believe God about big things. We can believe God about bold things. He said, you can say to that mountain, be, be removed. Let me see if I'm reading that right. You can speak into the mountain and say, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. Oh, that's pretty bold. Huh? Yeah. Amen. We can believe God about big things. Right. We can believe God about bold things. Yeah. We can believe God about burdened things. Therefore, I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire. Am I reading that right? What things soever? Huh? I mean, verse 23 says, whosoever shall say this mountain. Huh? Am I reading that right? Y'all help me out. That whosoever. We like whosoever when it comes to salvation. But what about whosoever when it comes to answered prayer? We like the Whosoever. And you get to verse number 24 and it's whatsoever you desire. See how quiet it got? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I was thinking. A preacher, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of possibilities. Yeah. It even includes like saying to the mountain, go jump in the lake. It includes everybody and everything. <laughs> Y'all looking at me like, preacher, you, you got to give me a punchline. The punchline is believe God. That's the punchline. That's the key to the whole story. 
He started out and said, believe God. Have faith in God. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. You shall have them. <laughs> oh, I wish y'all could see y'all's faces. You're like, is he talking to me? Is he talking to our church? Is he talking to us? Is he talking about us, about putting a missionary in all 195 countries? Is he, talk, is he talking about a ministry? Is he, talking about, is he talking to me about I can have a godly family and I can have a godly marriage and I can raise godly children? Yeah, whosoever and whatsoever. If you believe God. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. Altars open if you need to come. Maybe you need to just get in this altar and ask God to strengthen your faith. There may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Schiff, that I'm not sure I've ever been saved. I'm not sure I've ever been born again. I cannot say with 100% confidence that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. And I would like for you to remember me in prayer. I wonder if you'd be honest enough right here, right now, with heads bowed, eyes closed, folks are making their way to the altar, altars up full all the way across the front. Just piled up, people piled up down here praying. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just quietly slip your hand up where you're at and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. And that's concerning me. And I want you to pray for me. Would you slip it up where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Anybody, anywhere. Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. Preacher, pray for me. See that hand? Anybody else? Listen, we would love to help you this morning. We wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world. We want to help you. Would you let us help you this morning? Would you slip your hand up? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. And I want to be sure. Anybody anywhere? Let me ask this question. Would there be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shiflet, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. But I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with doubt. And I needed this reminder this morning. Would you slip your hand up? Would you slip your hand up? I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Listen, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to admit you're struggling in your faith. All of us do from time to time. Would you, would you come? Would you join these in the altar? Would you join these in the altar? Would you just get up out of your seat? If you raised your hand, would you come and pray?